Rogues, Rebels, and Renegades, welcome back to the Rogue Country Podcast. It's episode 70, and I did not mean to be missing for so long. God damn. Where to begin? It's been a crazy five months. We welcomed my baby boy Wyatt to the world, who was born on the 26th of May. And, you know, I was lucky in the fact I got to talk to Jesse Daniel and Roseanne Reed before Wyatt was born. And it was funny because it was the same week I was talking to Roseanne Reed about being a parent and being a musician that Wyatt decided to come early and bless us with his presence. So it's been a crazy one. And I'm so sorry to everyone who is meant to be on this podcast or have a review or do something for Rogue Country. In the last five months, it's been absolutely hectic. I wouldn't have changed any of it for the world because being with my baby boy has been the absolute best, but it has been awesome. So get back into the saddle for the podcast and record a banger of an episode for you today. But before we begin, let's get into this episode sponsor. Today, we are brought to you by Pick Print Screen Printing. They're a Liverpool-based, family-run hand screen printing company, and I love these guys. They do my t-shirts, they do the Rogue Country t-shirts, they do Josh Bettis's t-shirts. So if you need band merch, workwear, business uniforms, club or sports team wears, or apparel lines, please get in touch with them. They use eco-friendly inks. It's all done by hand and they're just an incredible company to wear with. I love them and you should go support them. So that was our sponsor. Go check them out if you need any of your merchandise done. Like I said, it's been a crazy five months. Why it was born, I've been dealing with becoming a dad for the first time and it's been crazy. But if that wasn't stressful enough, I decided to make it even more stressful for myself and book not one, but two tours in for this year, as well as a gig with Tommy Prine. Now, if you were a Rogue Country fan in August, if you were a country fan in August, I hope you had the time of your life. Jesse Daniel came over to the UK. The tours was an absolute success. Every show was incredible. London sold out so much that we had to do an extra date. Josh Bedders killed it in the opening act. Tommy Prine came over at the end of August. It was phenomenal. We laughed, we cried, we went on a journey. He is a phenomenal songwriter. And I cannot wait for Jesse Daniel and Tommy Prime to be back. But we've got focusing on the future because this week, this very same week that this podcast is being released on Monday, the 13th of November, we are bringing Summer Dean over starting on the 16th of November at Hangar 18 in Swansea. Then we're in Nottingham on the 17th of November at the Old Cold Store. On the 18th of November, we're in Wirral. We were meant to be at the Swinging On where Jesse Daniel and Tommy Prime played but it sold so well. We've had to move venue to Gallagher's. It's only a three minute walk away from the Swing and Arm. Then on the 19th of November, we're at Bradford in the Underground. On the 20th of November, it's London at the Blackheart. Summer Dean is going to be incredible at all these shows. Ags Connolly is the special guest for every single gig, but we wanted to share the rogue love. So on the 17th of November in Nottingham, Cold Hands is opening. On the 18th of November in Wirral, Brandon Ridley is opening. On the 19th of November in Bradford, Banjo Jen is opening. And on the 20th of November in London, My Crooked Teeth is opening. These are incredible artists who deserve this opportunity. We're so happy to be able to give it to them and share the rogue love. Thank you so much to Ags and Summer Dean for allowing us to put these artists on for a little 20-minute set just because we know that this crowd is going to love these artists and we couldn't be happier that we've managed to make this all possible. So get your tickets now. It is this week Summer Dean is coming over to the UK. It is phenomenal. It's finally happened. I'm so excited for it to finally be here. I cannot wait for Birkenhead so I get to see it all live. It's just going to be an absolutely amazing experience. Then I get to rest for the rest of the year and I'm hyped about that as well. But Summer Dean is on the podcast today because obviously we had to have her on before she came over. So 
without further ado, this is episode 70 of the Royal Country Podcast with Mike West and Summer Dean. Yeah, how's it going? You've just come back from Australia, haven't you? Yeah, I did. I got back a few weeks ago and uh, the schedule was pretty wild. Um, and honestly, I was probably too tired when I got back. I hadn't been that like, that. I haven't been that like, pushed mm. eyes in a while. I mean, the schedule of a touring artist is pretty grueling, but like that was 10 days, mm. eight flights and like seven ish mm. shows. And so it was crazy. I didn't get to see anything Australia, you know, really? I saw the hotel and the airport and the venues the people were amazing and the musicians were amazing but next time i go i'm gonna have to schedule some more time so that i can actually be there and visit you know no totally and like I, australia it's big in a way that's different to how big america is like australia it doesn't feel as drivable it seems that there's just like a no man's land in the middle of australia so you have yeah. to kind of get flights to connect everywhere I want to get to that no man's land. Yeah. And I think people, I think it was really interesting that people over there, they would stand in the merch booth for a long time, you know, or stay in the line. And then they'd get up there and they would just, it was the cutest thing. They would just list things in Texas, <laughs> like Bob's, the Alamo. I'm like, yeah, these are all things. And this one lady said, I have a cousin in Minnesota. Do you think you know him? I'm like, oh, no, no, I don't. It's, no, that's worlds away, you know, but, but it was, it's just interesting, the perspective, you know, but yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy being in on another hemisphere mm. on the other earth. Yeah. It was wild. Yet the same thing, yeah. just playing country music yeah. for good folk, you know? And was this? UK. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be amazing. It was Australia, your first kind of tour outside of the US with your solo yeah, stuff? Yeah, I mean. I've traveled, uh, but not for music. Mm. Yeah. So that was my first international music thing. Yeah. And like you said, like you're still playing country music. Was the reaction in Australia different to say how it is in Texas or anywhere in the States that you've played? Yeah. Well, just around the States, the reaction is different. Mm. Uh, some places the culture is to dance mm. and then, how they dance is different. Some places the culture is to stand and listen. Some places the culture is to party, you know, mm. and it's you it, to venue too. Over there, there were not many dancers except for Melbourne. There's a scene that's building in Melbourne. Really? Um, music scene. And people were dancing and, and, uh, and, uh, that's where I hired an Australian band and, um, um, well, just in Melbourne. And they were great. So Melbourne has quite the scene coming. Uh, but yeah, m most of the time they were listeners. You know, I wouldn't expect it to be a two-stepping place, but there it is in Melbourne. Yeah. So No way. And with the band that you had in Australia, did you have much time to rehearse with them prior to the show? Or We had one rehearsal, mm -hmm. but they were really ready. Uh, we had a conversation. I sent them a bunch of charts and some recordings of our live show and things like that. And then we had a good conversation about the difference from the recordings and how the live show works. And, but man, I showed up and they were ready. Mm. They knew the songs All I had to do. With, there wasn't a steel player in the band mm. over there. And I've never played without a steel player. 
So there was a little bit of interesting arrangements mm. to do, you know, but that's it. They were, they were wonderful pickers and even better humans. Oh, so amazing. it was great. Cool. And yeah. have you been over to the UK? I know you said you've traveled. Have you been over to the UK before? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been to London. I haven't been like out past the touristy stuff mm. as much, but uh, yes, I've been over there and uh, in other places in Europe. Cool. And what was your impression as kind of the tourist perspective to the UK? Because I think it'll be slightly different to how like a musician kind of perceives when they go on tour and see different places. Yeah, you know, every time I've been to Europe, um, especially the UK, I'm just usually taken aback of how old everything is Mm. in a way. How you got seem to uh, recycle your buildings and your communities much better than we do. Mm. I think we tend to like tear it down and rebuild. And I've noticed, uh, uh, you guys, it's just how, how beautiful and old everything is. It makes me feel like a really young country over <laughs> here. And we are. Yeah. So, uh, that's one of my favorite things over there is the uniqueness of just how old everything is, but it's still completely functional. Yeah. <laughs> and, over here we just don't have anything that old mm. it's it's amazing i'm with kind of i don't really know that much about texas and thing what's kind of the oldest thing in texas because obviously there's kind of like the alamo there's things like that is that probably one of the oldest things in texas or i would say along with um some of our native american um some of our native american uh ruins and mm. and and are some of our oldest cultures. Well, that's in humanity, you know, yeah. but, um, and then, um, it also depends on what part of Fort Worth you're in yeah. or Texas. If you're further South, you're going to have a lot uh, more of the Mexican culture mm. that was here before Texas, you know, Texas. And then, um, in the Northern, we've got a lot of more, uh, of the cattle drive, like the Chisholm trail stopped right here in Fort Worth. And mm. there's a lot of, uh, the stockyards, here in Fort Worth are built around that stop and a lot of the original buildings and like the world's first indoor rodeo Coliseum. And we're still doing rodeos there. So, I mean, there's, it kind of depends on, um, um, what part of Texas you're in. I would think that UK is kind of like that. It seems like one big unit and it is, but it's also very diverse according to where you are and what's settled in that region. Yeah, no, totally. And even, you know, around here and was like this house is from it was built in 1900 which is similar to most houses here but then you walk past like one street and there's one cottage that's from like the 1600s and it's just kind of there and you just that's the only thing there that's that old and everything else is kind of from the 1900s it's it it's weird how old stuff just kind of like blends in and pops up in different places and you don't really suspect yeah. it yeah yeah very cool 1600s cool yeah it's crazy but with yeah. coming over to the UK, obviously it's a solo tour as opposed to kind of your band does, because obviously the new album, The Biggest Life, is a lot more intimate. It's a lot more yeah. songwriting and lyrical. Is this kind of something you're looking forward to in showcasing these songs in a solo way? Have you kind of done anything yeah. to prepare for that or anything in your head to kind of differentiate from the band sound? Well, um, I like playing solo shows. Um 
um, banter and humor and talking is, is a big part. Uh, comedy is a big part of my solo set and the band set. But, you know, it's two different animals. When mm. we're with the band, it's a completely different show than solo. It's uh, different songs, different jokes, different banter, different everything, a different vibe. They're both, uh, I try to make them both as entertaining as I can. <laughs> but, you know, I, I like, I'm looking forward to the solo shows. I get to really connect with the audience. And uh, I would love to bring my band over, but I think it's wise to, for my first time yeah. to come over there to get to know everybody, get to know <laughs> some people, figure out how this works. And then then I'll bring the dudes back. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's definitely the way to go, I think. Because it's the same yeah. thing we did with Jesse Daniel, where you know it's it's a weird kind of to talk finances and things, but it is expensive to bring like a lot of people over and to have this yeah. kind of solo set, and it creates a unique perspective that you know when you come back with the band, people will be like, "Well, I saw a solo in 2023." It's yeah. going to be one of those trump cards that people are going to be pulling out, and it's going to be just an interesting performance that we absolutely cannot wait to bring over. I'm grateful for you guys. You didn't. Uh... Uh, a great job oh. promoting um, oh thank you yeah. well it's been a hectic year but it's i i i know when the, this tour lands next week it's just going to be so worth it i'm so hyped for it good. meeting you in birkenhead good i mean it'll be better <laughs> yeah i'm with kind of the biggest like that's a new record how oh, i just saw beans back here <laughs> <laughs> i saw him over my shoulder yeah. that's been i think did you just see yeah I've got Alice and Cooper, two cats running around at the moment. Alice just popped her head up behind me. I don't know. Alice and Cooper, great. <laughs> I don't know where she's gone. <laughs> this is Beans. This is oh. Beans' day spot. How long have you had Beans? <laughs> um, I just got him during the pandemic. Oh, really? Yeah, he's pretty comfortable. Looks like. They <laughs> <laughs> <Wait>, look. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, back to business. <laughs> um, yeah, with kind of the biggest life, obviously it's been out a while now. How have you felt the reaction, the reception's been to it from like Bad Romantic and Unladylike that you released in 2016? Because it's a phenomenal yeah. record and everything, like anyone I've spoken to who's listened to it has said it's the fucking best record they've heard like this year. Wow, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's crazy how fast records are mm. old. Yeah. Put it out. And it, and it feels like I'm, I'm late on my next one, you know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, I'm 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 proud of the biggest life. Uh, you know, I, uh, unladylike. I didn't even have a con. I wasn't thinking about that one. I just put my songs on an album and put it out. I didn't even know how to do. I didn't. I don't know how to do any of it. And uh, and then with bad romantic, I feel like. I was coming out with my fist in the air with something to say and like, this is honky tonk music and blah, blah. And I feel like with the biggest life, I just kind of sat down and played you some of my songs. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I, I feel like I've matured in that move and matured in my writing. And, uh, and when a writer and a producer like Bruce Robinson emails you and says, we like your songs. What do you think about making a record? Then, he just say yes. <laughs> yeah. Say yes. He's one of the best Texas songwriters uh, that we have. And so um, that was quite the treat, you know, and it was, it was recorded completely analog. Uh, no computers ever used. So with this kind of album being out, I think it's perfect to do these acoustic yeah. tours because the, the, the main driving force making the biggest life 
was the lyrics and the stories. Mm. And you can't really convey that with the full band because mm. you're trying to reach a different kind of climax for the show. And so for the solo shows, I get to deliver what the, re- what the record delivered. I do have to do a little different preparing, like, with the band, some of the songs, I don't play the guitar, just kind of sing. And so I know that if I need to have some of those songs worked up uh, for me playing them uh, and I don't play them on stage. I, I mean, I just sing them on stage, but I want to be able, if anybody has requests or anything like that, I want to be able to mm. play anything they throw. So I do do a little prep like that. Uh, uh, just making sure all the songs are arranged right acoustically mm. and that I can play them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I write. And then I take them to the solo, take them to the studio and they become something else. And sometimes even after that, I don't, I can't play them anymore because they're, yeah, I wrote it, but they they become a whole nother thing. Mm. So I have to go back and learn my own songs a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Is that kind of, you said with like lyrically it's matured. Was there anything in the thought process or anything in your life that kind of led you to this? kind of maturity in these lyrics for the album that kind of things either kind of clicked in place or you had a thought process where it kind of crystallized what you were singing about or what you wanted to sing about um you know they say write about what you know and um and so i don't write a lot of love songs i don't write a lot of um like man hating songs you know like the you cheated on me so i'm gonna key your truck or whatever you know i don't burn your house down i don't i don't don't have a lot of experience with those emotions and so i don't write a lot from that perspective but i do have the perspective of uh independence Mm. as a woman in her 40s and sometimes that's lonely and sometimes that's really prideful and i write from both those perspectives Mm. Uh, i write from the perspective of having to pick yourself up and, um, and, uh, and there's nobody else to pick you up. So you got to do it yourself, you know? And, and I write from the perspective of, um, uh, inadvertently putting country music before anything else in my life mm. almost. And, uh, those are just, th- th- those are things that are in my heart and in my head. So that's what you write about. Sometimes I take that feeling and then write a fiction story about mm. that. It's really or or uh um what's it called whatever it's fiction but based on not but it could be i don't know whatever whatever who cares <laughs> but you know i i, I can I, I take a little more drama to it in the songwriting than what's really happening in real life you know but that's that's the art of yeah. it so, yeah i just just i just write about what i know yeah and uh, it's been really interesting the reactions from some of the really sad songs on the album it's been interesting there's there's men and women that come up crying and relating to it all the time mm. and that makes me feel good and uh, and then you know the i always try to get a little wit and a wry turn of phrase and some humor and because such is life yeah. you know i think there was one um review that had a little uh criticism like a critique that the album didn't really tell a story from like sad to happy or whatever. It didn't arc. Mm. It just like this in emotions. And I was like, well, that's, that's life. Yeah, that's man. true. I it's mean, a life then. Yeah. yeah. In one day you could have so many things happen that you're emotionally all over the place about. Yeah. So I, I just kept it 
I just kept it as real as I could keep it. Yeah. No, I, I think that's that makes the most sense. And it's weird to kind of see that as a critique because, you know, it, it would make sense if you were viewing an artist's kind of catalogue in its entirety in a 50 career span. Like if you were looking at Johnny Cash's or Spring Scenes to say, well, this album goes from happy to sad and then the next album goes from sad to happy. But, you know, a lot of artists, especially independent artists, you may only get one or two albums to tell your entire story and you want to create an album that does tell your life is like the biggest part. So you do need to kind of have those ebbs and flows. And it doesn't necessarily mean it goes from one end of a spectrum to the other. It can kind of fluctuate in between those things. And I think that's what your album does really, really well. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of uh, juggling that goes into album order. It's a funny thing. It's not thought about by the listener very much, Mm. Um, but sometimes that's designed, Yeah, you know, uh, I think about, I don't think about it necessarily when we're recording, I do look at all my songs and we pluck the best ones, but, but the best ones can be based on how I'm singing them or how they go with the other ones. And then with song order, you do think about tempos and the keys that they're in. And, uh, and you also think about the storyline. And so there's a lot of tiny factors that go into song order. Yeah, in an album, sometimes it's a story and the whole thing, you know. But it's it's that's always a that's a fun part to me. That's when you're. It's like you're you've painted all these pieces and you're putting it together. It's like the Lego. You put them all together, then you're finally seeing it coming, and it's one big thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 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 pretty cool. But yeah, the song order is unique. Yeah, on the biggest slide. No, definitely. And with kind of obviously, big old truck opens the album, so that was kind of intentional for me. Kind of the last verse you talking about independence and defiance. It's like, it's just like me to think I need a big old truck, but I'm just yeah. going to start walking. And it's that kind of, you think you need X, but if you have your own steam and you have your own motivation, you can just go. Yeah. I literally visualize sitting on the front steps thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to get out of this pity party and mm. I'm just going to get up, you know, but we also put that first, because it's acoustic. Mm. And so and the listener to know right away, oh, this is a listener's album. Mm. You know, and then be surprised when it lifts up, but it's going to come back down every time. And so, uh, yeah, I wanted an acoustic song first. Mm. A lot of times when you when you pop in with album with a big song, which is great, some of you, maybe your slower, more listening songs kind of get jumped over yeah. or not listened to as because you're, you're keep chasing that first high. And so, uh, I wanted. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to kind of come in slowly, mm. and, and uh, so whatever. That's that's all fun to think about. I'm glad you're reminding me of all that because I hadn't thought about it in a while. It's cool. Yeah. No. I like as because I put my own records out as well, and it, the like track order is something that I do really like sweat over for a long time and try and mix things up. Like I'm working on a follow up album at the moment, and I've kind of got the track order ready to go, like how I want it to kind of go because it is one of those important things. I especially think in this day and age of digital streaming, it's even more important because a lot of people will just kind of jump to singles and playlists. But for those people who really give a fuck, it's just another level of paying attention to those guys and like letting them know that you're putting that level of thought into that they want to put that level of thought into it as well. And you want to build that journey for them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You've got to think about the singles and how they're going to pop 
and then the order and how they're going to pop all the different listeners, the listeners that listen digitally and the listeners that listen, listen analog and the mixing and how that's going to work for everybody. And, and, uh, but that's all fun to think about yeah. to me, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And with kind of the songwriting, obviously Bad Romantic came out in 21. So those songs were kind of written pre pandemic with the songs on the biggest life. Did you have some of those, kind of sat for a while or were they kind of written during lockdown and more recent or did you was it a mix and match yeah both um some of the songs on there let's see yeah some of the songs on there man i wrote back in like 2015 mm. and um brought them back out and zhuzhed them up rewrote some things on them uh just because i write a song a week mm. uh, and every wednesday by midnight I have another song uh, that I write and turn into this group. And so that has caused me to write a whole bunch of songs. They are not all good. <laughs> they are not all, but they are all complete. And so uh, that has caught, that made me go back into my phone and get a lot of songs that were halfway written or kind of crappy songs and redo them and pick them up or, you know, uh, actually finally finish out some of those ideas that you have floating around in your phone and your voice memos all the time. And, um, so there was, there were a whole lot of songs to pick from, but I would say the majority, yeah, I would say the majority I wrote in the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, but yeah, like I write all the song. I wrote all the time. I wrote one last night called mailbox money. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, I, you kind of look at, and some of the songs that I've written, I love, but they didn't really fit this mm. album. Uh, so they'll make another album one day, you know, uh, but you, it's kind of piecing together yeah. and, you know, there's a lot to say in, uh, in, uh, what songs yeah. make the final cut too. Mm. And with that song a week, obviously that's a really disciplined thing. I know a lot of people would struggle with that. What's your kind of process or yeah. What's your process in getting that song a week done? Does it start lyrics first, melody or chorus or guitar parts? Like, is there a set way well, you do it? Yeah, we're given a word, mm. and the word is there. It's different every week, and the word is there to help you. Mm. It, it, you your song, or you can just help you think about something, or you can not use it at all. It's just there if you have no thoughts. It's been a crazy week, and you don't, you're not connecting yeah. to anything. You know? It's just there to help you if you want it. And like a lot of times, the word has made me think of something, which made me think of something, and then I wrote a song about that. Mm. You know, but um. Most of the time, it's almost different every time. Mm. But sometimes I have a melody and I'm just kind of snapping and singing something. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to write something like this. Or um, sometimes I've got a story in mind or a hook. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's me, let me build it around this. Or sometimes I'll just find a pretty little strumming pattern and be like, oh, that's nice. What, what fits with this? Mm. You know, and it's, Oh, even even phonetically, it's got to fit with the melody, and and um, so it, it's kind of different every time. Mm. Uh, and sometimes I have no ideas, and I'm literally I'm just making it up. <laughs> I don't I'm putting all the formulas together and turning it in, mm. you know. But, uh, but I've done it for two and a half years now. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a lot. Of, that's a lot of songs. That is pretty hell. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And with that writing, is it all kind of falling into the country genre or do we have like a Summer Dean hip hop album and a Summer Dean death metal album that we don't know about? Uh, oh, 
no, but I love the idea of a death metal album. Uh, <laughs> I honestly like that'd be crazy and awesome. Um, but I'm that's funny you say that. Like, of course, naturally, I write. I like to write a sad country song. That's what I like to write. That that's my wheelhouse. You know, mm. I've been challenging myself to do other things. Been trying to write more on the piano, mm. and um, and I've been trying like uh, artistically. I think. I listen to a lot of divas. I listen to Adele mm. and Lizzo and they give me a lot of uh, ideas as far as the mentality of a song, mm. even like Cardi B, like just the mentality of a song can get me going on wanting to write something else that's different and a little more L Linda, a little less Loretta, mm. you know, what I'm is what I've been feeling lately. <laughs> My problem is, I don't know how to play those things. Mm. I don't know how to play the piano like that. And I don't know how to play the guitar like that. So a lot of my demos right now are a lot of like, you know, like I'm singing what I want happening. And, but I know I can take that to my players and yeah. we can figure it out, you know? So I'll write a song. It's technically complete. I know that my demo is not how I want it to turn out. But I'll take it to the guys and we start jamming and we build a funk and we build a groove. And then I'll kind of tweak the lyrics all right there and the song comes together. So uh, that's what I'm hoping my next album will be. Mm. But I don't have it's still going to be country because I can't help that. <laughs> but in my mind, it's not traditional. Yeah, it may be. It may be for mainstream considered really country, but in my mind, it, it won't be, you know, like in my mind, Linda Ronsad is not country music, mm. but a lot of people will say that she is. Yeah. So who cares anymore anyway, you know, but uh, what it is, who cares what it is and was it is. It's a moot point. It's a movable target. So yeah. whatever. But um, yeah, I'm hoping the next album comes out a little more funkier, crosses over in that genre a little bit, but I haven't, I know all it is is conceptual in my brain. I don't have my producer yet. I don't have his timeline. I don't have the studio. I don't have any of that yet. So we'll see. Mm. I have a lot to work with. I just think I'm just, I got to get the cojones to reach out to them. Because mm. <laughs> they're so great. I'm like, oh, they won't work with a little <laughs> like me. But you never know, I guess. Yeah, all you have to do is ask. And you've got kind of the back catalog and the talent and the incredible songs to back it up. So I don't know anyone Thanks. who wouldn't want to work with you. It takes money. It takes lots of money. Yeah. Yeah. And with albums, I read that you had like a three-year or three-album plan of a rocker album, a songwriter album, and a covers album. Is that kind of still the trajectory? And then you want to add like a funk yeah. album in? Yeah. I just thought that the Bangers album was going to be first. Mm. And, you know, the just the powerhouse Bangers album. But that's not the producer that called. Mm. So we put out the writer. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to work to the point where I don't have to think about career moves mm. with my album. And I just put out what I want, yeah. you know? And, uh, uh, like, I feel like Coulter has done that. Mm. Coulter has put out, he's got himself to be such a big deal. He could put out a rap album right now and people would be like, Oh, cool. Coulter put out a new album, yeah. you know? And, uh, I want to get to that point so that I can shine a flashlight on the kind of music that I absolutely love, which is traditional dance hall country mm. music. Donnie Bush, Connie Smith, and uh, Ray Price. You know, that's my favorite kind of music. 
but unfortunately it's not the kind of music that moves a needle. Mm. It's not the music that labels and managers want to throw money yeah. at because it's a lot of tickets. And so I have to think like, okay, that's what I really want to do. So I got to play this game and I got to put out good albums that people will buy tickets to. And then, then do what I want. Yeah. I want to do all the songs. I want to make sure I don't word that the wrong way, but you know, you got to, you know, it's, it's, this is a business Yeah. and uh, you can be, you can be really proud of your art, but uh, you've got, you got to, you got to, you know, you got to do the right business. It's like owning a, owning a store you can't sell everything you love you have to sell the stuff that sells yeah no totally and, uh, things you love in that yeah you know yeah no it's it's one of those hard things where it's i think the biggest kind of distillation for me is like tattoo artists because they obviously are tattoo artists they are artists they create art but it has to be sellable and it has to be someone wants to buy it and wear it on their skin and that's where a lot of compromise comes in and that's where i think a lot of musicians draw the line is they don't want to compromise but then they also wonder why they aren't really getting anywhere and no one's paying attention to them yeah yeah and that's okay it's okay if you don't want to compromise but just know you're making you're making yeah. a choice just this morning there were some girls staying at the house uh sophia johnson and um george parker and sophia worked her ass off played 35 gigs a month just played gig 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 money 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 and her and her husband were able to buy a house yeah. So she's like, I took gigs only based on what it paid. Yeah. And and it didn't get my career anywhere, but now I own a home. She goes, So now I feel good and now I'm gonna chase things that are a little better for my career. And uh so it's just business choices. Yeah. You know, and uh I think that's the difference in a lot that's why you go out and you see really good musicians at whatever bar. You're like, how are these people not a big deal? They're so good. And talent doesn't have everything to do with it. Yes, you have to be good, but you got to have the right brain Mm. and the the right timing. And it's crazy. And who knows? And then, but if there was one way to do it, we'd all be doing it, you know? Exactly. (laughs) So who knows what the formula really is, you know? Yeah, it's one of those crazy things. And I think it is where you get to a point as an artist to be like, what artist you want to be and what you kind of want to do. Like, I'm, of no illusion i'm never going to be huge and it's i just take the gigs that i find fun and interesting and this year has been really kind of a spotlight for me because i've obviously with the birth of my son i've been like i'm not doing shit which i made that as like a personal choice but i know a lot of artists can't do that and it's like well i need to tour i need to do this and a lot of people would have to miss a lot of things and it's one of those things where it is always a give and take and a compromise and artists always have to kind of sit themselves down before that process and during that process where you can be a bit jealous or envious of where another artist is, but it's like, well, the choices that you have made have put you on this road and that artist is on that road and you can't compare journeys. It's a really mm-hmm. weird thing, but a lot of people can't have that self-awareness or separation sometimes. Yeah. And realizing that everything phases, mm-hmm. like it can be this, this can be someone else's time right now. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Your time will, you know, that's, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to remind ourselves of that all the time. Yeah. Especially social media. Like, man, you can make things look really great on social media. <laughs> and, uh, but you can't compare anything. You got to just, you got to just keep going and be proud of yourself and keep your head down, you know? Yeah. Keep your head down, grounded. Yeah. No, totally. And that's where obviously kind of your albums 
have come through with these stories and things. But going back before kind of the biggest life, dad romantic on Lady Lake, what was the kind of decision to pursue music full times? I've read some things where it was like you didn't want to turn 40 and be unhappy and you wanted to kind of do what you loved. Was that just the main driving force of like being self-aware and looking around at your life and going, we need to change? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't why should I do this? It was why shouldn't I? Yeah. You know, tell me why not? You know, just <laughs> just go for it. The worst that's going to happen is nothing. You know, my, my brother... My brother said something to me a long time ago, one of those really simple but profound thing that helps me make decisions, helps me jumpstart things all the time. He said, Summer, there's people in this world that do things and people that don't. And so what are you going to be? Mm. You know. And sometimes I choose not. Oh, I don't think this, I'm not going to do this one. Oh, I am going to go for this. You know, I just go for it. because I just, you got to think about, the worst that's going to happen is that it won't work. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. Yeah. I'll figure something else. The scariest part of like going full-time music was that I was raised right. I was raised that you have savings and that you have your insurance and your 401k and all of whatever's. And, um, and knowing as a independent artist, I wasn't going to have any of those things. That was the hardest thing mm. to, that was the hardest thing to do. Uh, making the decision it wasn't the art because i'm not scared to fail it was it was the security yeah. letting go of the security uh but i just didn't there's no way i could have kept teaching school mm. and be happy and wondering if i could have done something else you know i just i thought i can always go back it's gonna be fine let's go for it you know and uh definitely not afraid of hard work yeah. so I didn't have a husband or kids mm. to that are depending on me. Yeah. So I thought, well, now's the time. Let's roll. If I did have a husband and kids depending on me, then I, I don't know if I would have made the same decision. But look how that works out. Mm. Uh, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and what was kind of the biggest learning curve or the biggest thing that like you realize or you hadn't thought of when you started kind of taking that change and becoming a musician full time? It's amazing what you don't need. Mm. You know, you, you, it's, it's pretty amazing what you don't need spending money and things like that. And, um, it also, I had to take a look at, it, it was hard to put things on my credit card and it was hard to put so much trust in other people mm. Uh, because it was my livelihood that was in their hands, mm. that my eggs their basket, you know, and uh, that was really hard. That still is really hard. Uh, but I talked to a lot of uh, business people, um, uh, motivational type business people, and they always say like every business, no matter what, has leverage somewhere. Mm. You've got a benefactor, you've got a board of trustees, you've got a credit card, you've got something that you're leveraged on when you start mm. and and so that helped me understand that this is normal and uh it, it's all right and and it and you just it's going to work out you just have to trust and work hard and be resourceful and um be frugal mm. take care of the people around you so that they take care of you and uh it's just a wild 
way to exist. Mm. <laughs> Certainly than me in my thirties <laughs> for sure. So 2023. <laughs> it is pretty crazy. I can just hold this tiny thing in my hand and talk to somebody in another country. It's nuts, isn't it? It's so it's so yeah. good. It's one of the good if things was, about the internet. Yeah, yeah. I'm not stoned, but it, I, when I, I get those thoughts like a stoner of like, it's so crazy. I can use my thumbs and talk to somebody in Australia. Yeah. You know? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, it's been like the internet's just been the best and worst thing for music ever because, you know, it has completely devalued it, but it's also gives so many new opportunities to people where, you know, someone in the world can have a crazy idea to be like, what if Summer Dean came to the UK and then a couple of emails later can actually happen. It's wild. Wild, it is. And uh, it's also made it a whole different game. Mm. You know, this is a whole different game now than what it used to be. No, I'm with kind of technology and the production side of the albums. What was the kind of difference between Bad Romantic and The Biggest Life in terms of production or even kind of band or instrumentation? Was there much of a change or... I, I, was there a conscious change between the two? Well, bi the biggest life is analog. Mm. Uh, they were both done with a lot of vintage equipment um, to try to get sounds and chase tones out of instruments and vocals. But the biggest difference between the two albums is that biggest life is analog. Uh, you know, when uh, there's nothing wrong with making, with using pro tools yeah. to make a record. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's we. It's just using a computer. It doesn't matter. It's like writing. To me, it's the difference of writing a letter handwritten or writing or typing it out. Mm. Whatever. But where the difference is, as far as making the record, which was a wonderful experience, is when you know when you have Pro Tools, you have just an infinite, infinite amount of choices mm. and space to do whatever you want. And change whatever you want, add whatever effects you want, fix anything you want to fix. But when it's analog, that's it. Mm. You've got 15 channels. You've got four tape, four, four reels of tape to fill up, and that's it. Mm. So you've got to really contain your momentum. You can't, you know, get everybody in the studio, start to drinking. You start just bullshitting and out comes whatever comes out. You don't have time for any of that. And, uh, and, uh, you, you have to be okay with letting, with not being perfect. Mm. Uh, and you kind of let the vibes go, but they have to be intentional. So it was a real beautiful thing to make an analog record. Mm. Um, I, I never thought I still struggle with thinking I'm not a good singer. And, uh, I just have these weird, vulnerable, self-conscious moments. And, uh, man, there's no hiding behind any of that in an analog record, no. you know? So, uh, the, it, it, that made me face my fears mm. a lot. And so I'm confident in my writing and stuff like that, but like, there's some women out there that just have the most beautiful vocals in the world. And I just couldn't think about that. And I had to just sing my songs the best I could. So it, it was a beautiful way to make a record. And that's the way they do it on that label, the next waltz. That's the way they make records. Mm. And so if you're going to make a record with them, that's the way it's done. Mm. And so it's, it was pretty cool. And it's out, it was made at a farmhouse 
uh, Biggest Life was made in a farmhouse out in the country, out in Texas. And Bad Romantic was made in a loft studio near downtown Fort Worth. Mm. So they were made very differently. Mm. And uh, so cool experiences for me. Oh, cool. I said um, I have a group chat of other musicians and things who are you know, fans of yourself. And I, I was like, yo, I'm going to be talking to Summer Dean today. Does anyone have any questions? And someone actually asked a legitimate interesting question so so this this is the first sending we've had on the podcast but chris dover who's a brilliant musician in his own right and is also uh, hosting your bradford show and he's asked if you remember how many mics we used on the drums on picket fence from bad romantic because the drum sound is so sick oh dude it's doubled doubled yeah there's no way to recreate it with two hands Mm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we doubled that. There, There's a couple of songs. You know what's funny? That's a great question. That's not, is he a drummer? It, it, he's a bit of everything. He's a talented little bastard. It's annoying. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's somebody in my band like that. Can play every, every band better than all of us, you know. But um, um, yeah, this, there's been several drummer. My drummer in my band learning all the songs it was like, I can't, I, my wrist will not do what's you're doing mm. on uh, can you hear me knocking and picket fence and i was like well yeah it's impossible we doubled it like you know and uh so the drummer did his set and he would go back and add things to it so it's impossible for two hands mm. to make sound and it's so funny when we were doing that i was thinking man when people are learning this song they're <laughs> going to be like world i can't get this right and uh so but it's just an annoying thing that, but you know we were you can't think about the live show too much when you're making no. the record. You just got to make it sound cool. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's funny. So, uh, no, I don't think it was. I don't remember the mics that we had set up. Honestly, when that stuff starts going, uh, I'm off doing another job. <laughs> uh, when When the engineer and the producer are in there, I, I, that's way over my yeah. head when they're, I don't even know when they're doing the big, big reverb metal sheet that's in this other room. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I, I, I can hear the difference in the sounds when they're showing me what they're doing, but I don't know why they put certain mics in the room. I don't know. No. Uh, I, I just, but I do know that what he was playing is, is um, double. Mm. So if any drum, drummers out there trying to learn it, like, don't feel like you're not capable. <laughs> no way that, like, I'm, I'm really glad I asked. That's so interesting. It's it's one of those things where it is kind of a record is a record. And obviously you want to try and do as much of it live, but it's completely two different experiences and two yeah. just mentalities that can kind of complement each other, but they just live in different universes. Yeah. We even change tempos a lot. And, uh, I don't have a trumpet player or a fiddle player in my road band. So there's a lot of trumpet and fiddle on my last album. So, or a piano player. I don't have a piano player in my road band either. So a lot of arrangings happen, which makes me kind of want to do a live album. Mm. I wanted to do like a live album across Texas and pick some really badass venues and just pick different takes from each show, you know, mm. but uh, just because our live show is so different than the album. Uh, but, you know, one day I just got to, got to raise the money. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, awesome. And before I kind of let you go, just to kind of go back to Origins, you talked about how you're like a huge like Johnny and Connie fan and the dancehall yep. sound. Was that what you grew up on or what did you grow up listening to and what made you fall in love with country music? Yeah, I grew up more on Western Swing. Mm. Um, I know that is a popular lyric, but it's the truth for me. I grew up on Bob Wills and Asleep at the Wheel and uh, oh, Dale Evans and things like that. More like uh, I'm, I'm a I'm roaming the plains mm. on the wild world. You know, my mama listened to all that. Mm. And she also liked a lot of um, um, just uh, 60s music. So I was raised on a lot of that stuff. My daddy loves uh, my daddy loves Johnny Cash and Marty Robbins. Mm. So, um, you know, that was a part of my just became a part of my DNA, uh, especially Bob Wills. Mm. But, you know, in the 80s and 90s, we didn't really have a lot of ways. The only way to listen to music was on the radio. Mm. Records had gone out of style cassette tapes were coming in, you know, and CDs. So, and you only bought that from what was on the radio. Mm. Like there wasn't a way to know what was outside of your region. Mm. And um, until, you know, now you can find artists pretty easily, like on Spotify and playlists. None of that was a part of stuff as a kid. So as a kid, I listened to a lot of eighties and nineties radio country, you know, Uh, George Strait, Rube McIntyre and, and um, God, Diamond Rio and, you know, all this just uh, Patty Loveless, mm. Vince Gill, just because that was the only thing there was available to listen to. And um, then when I got to college, I discovered honky tonk music. I that's when I found Johnny Bush and all that. One of some of my favorite Texas dance hall bands that don't play outside of Texas, Jake Hooker, uh, Amber Digby, Justin Trevino. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, Jason Roberts, they don't play outside Texas a lot. So we, I would hear them at the rodeos and at the dances and not know that they weren't like a national mm. thing. It's so big in Texas. And so, uh, that's my, that's my favorite sound. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, I hope that one day I can make it a hundred percent of the time, but mm. right now we're still messing around with what, you know, with, with all kinds of stuff. Mm. I think that's the best way to be is especially like an artist kind of two albums and an EP. And is is you not necessarily, you know, the sound you want, but it's also the sound you find along the way. But you said you were listening to yeah. kind of like Divas and Lizzo and things. What are you currently listening to? Like what are your favorite albums or artists at the moment? Um, I don't listen. It's crazy. I don't listen to too, too much. Uh, I listen to a lot of instrumental type things mm. and, uh, um, uh, there's some new people that I think are really good. I think Zach Top is a new guy that's really good. He's he's kind of going uh, Nashville. He's going national, not a Texas thing. But I, you know, if I'm listening to whatever I want to home, it's it's there's no telling what I'm going to put on. <laughs> I don't. I I have no idea. I take inspiration for from a lot of a lot of different pieces. Just one lyric can spur a whole other idea in my head. Yeah. And so so. Who knows? Like, for example, in Lonely Girls in the Mint, there's a line at the beginning of the chorus. Oh, my God, I can't believe you're 41. And the oh, my God part came from an Adele lyric. 
And uh, I thought, oh, how cool that people say that all the time. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. And uh, I was like, I, I never put that in a lyric before. That's so good. And it helped me write the mm-hmm. whole chorus. And so I just kind of listen to whatever. Um, if I oversaturate it, it's, it, it, I, then I, I don't want to I don't want to hate anything. Yeah. But um, the thing that gets my juices going is that Texas dance hall, especially Jake. Mm. Jake, who, uh, he's just, he's so good. Mm. No, awesome. So the uh, playlist for the drive with Ags there across the UK is going to be interesting if you've got the uh, controls. Yeah, you know what? That happened in Australia. We have a we have a playlist. Uh, we call it Summerdean Tour Playlist. I think it's uh, public mm. on Spotify. But it's what we give the venues to play before our show uh, so that the venue has the vibe yeah. that we want up to our show. And that's a lot of Texas artists on there, a lot of Texas music. And uh, I gave it to a lot of the venues in Australia and people were asking, what is this playlist? What is this playlist? So uh, that's fun. I might I might put that in for Ags, but he can also show me some stuff too. Oh, awesome. Ags is great. Yeah. I wanted to meet him. Yeah. No, this, this tour is just going to be absolutely incredible. Is there any kind of thing that is either on your bucket list to do or anything you're kind of really looking forward to coming over and kind of being out of the tour? Because I feel it's a weird one because you're coming up to my neck of the woods for Birkenhead and it's a weird place. It's not like a tourist destination. And one of my favorite things is seeing comments being like, why the fuck are you in Birkenhead? And that's like my favorite thing to see. But is there anything you're kind of looking forward to along the way for the UK? You know, the fact that I've seen a lot of the London stuff and uh, I want, I'm excited that Ags and I are driving mm. from town to town because you don't get a lot of that as a tourist. Uh, you just kind of see the sights in the cities, you know? So I'm excited to drive around and see, I'm excited to live as a local and to be as a local for a week. Mm. So, and I just want to play my songs. I, so I'm excited for the chillness mm. of I'm excited to travel from city to city in a car and uh that's and that's real simple but that's gonna be cool to me like because that's the version of what i do here yeah it's just there you know i know what it's like to travel around texas and stop at the gas stations and get your lunch and you know so what what's it like to be a touring artist in the uk for one week yeah you know that's what i'm excited about yeah and you're going to get to drive through wales which is one of the best places to drive through it's gorgeous there so well that's that'll be great yeah yeah well, amazing. I think that's the probably the best place to end it. And I'm going to see you in less than 10 days, which is going to be fucking epic. I really can't wait for it. But thanks so yeah, much for agreeing to come over and joining us on this. I'm so excited. I I, I can't believe that in one year we're going to the Aust- Australia and the UK. Yeah. Like, this is <laughs> wild. I just want to do a really good job so that I can come back. Oh, you definitely will. I know people are already yeah. going to be wanting you to come over next year as well. Good. Good. And that is episode 70 of the Rogue Country Podcast in the bag. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for keeping and listening while I've been gone. I've been checking the stats every now and then while I've been, you know, away on hiatus and it warms my heart to see people actually still listen to this podcast even though we haven't released anything new it's really been weighing on me that we haven't released anything new but family comes first and i've been having the time of my life 
and you can have the time of your life. What a segue with Summer Dean coming over this week to the UK for her very first time with special guest Alex Connolly. 16th of November at Swansea and Hangar 18. 17th of November at Nottingham at the Old Cold Store. 18th of November at Wirral and Gallagher's. 19th of November, Bradford at the Underground. And 20th of November, London at the Black Art. These are going to be phenomenal dates. You do not want to miss these if you enjoy the Jesse Daniel shows, if you enjoy the Tommy Prine show, if you enjoy the Mike and the Moon Pie shows that were in April. If you just love country music, you're going to love these shows. So make sure you come say hi. And as always, keep doing the things you love, keep supporting the things you love, and keep it rogue. Peace. <laughs>